Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Today we're going to be concluding our series on grit by focusing on developing resources related to the strength of vitality. This will include learning about the relationship between our body and mind, and learning how to accept and appreciate our body for what it is. Before we really dive in here, I just wanted to take a moment and note that this episode is going to be dealing largely with topics related to the body, including our relationship with our physical appearance. It's tricky and sometimes very emotionally fraught material for many people, so feel comfortable going at your own speed here, and if this isn't something that you're comfortable thinking about at this moment in time, there's really no harm in skipping this episode and joining us again next week. To help us through this, I'm joined as always by Dr. Rick Hansen. So to begin with, why is cultivating a sense of vitality, which I think of as being a very physical experience lived in the body, important for growing the mental resource of grit? Yeah, the point here is based on the observation that when a person's body is ill Mm -hmm. or weary or underfed or underslept, it's naturally harder for a person to muster the mental resource of grit. Mm. On the other hand, if people feel very energetic in their body, uh, they've had a good night's sleep, they've had good nutrition recently, their belly is full, it's easier to be determined and stubborn and indestructible. So for me, there's a kind of humility, frankly, in appreciating the ways in which our states of mind depend upon states of the body. So this is our opportunity here to talk about the physical body and the relationship that people have with it. To shore up the physical body, it's important for people to have a relationship with their body that's based on acceptance and appreciation. Because if you don't accept your body or you don't appreciate your body, you're not going to take very good care of it. So based on what you're saying, we can think in terms of different elements or aspects of vitality. Well, to make it concrete, for a person to have grit and more generally to be resilient, it's really helpful to have a body that's eaten reasonably well, gotten enough sleep, uh, not gotten overwhelmed with intoxicants that are problematic, uh, and um, has had its health issues attended to. That seems just like fundamental common sense. So let's call that nurturing the body itself. What I've seen as a psychologist, not as a physician, so I'm not offering medical advice here, is that for people to nurture their body, in other words, to fortify it, to give it good nutrition, to help it get a lot of sleep, thinking of the body as sort of like the horse you ride every day as you go through your life, Mm -hmm. to do that, what I've found is that many people have issues with accepting their body based on Mm -hmm. what it looks like or its shape or size. And that lack of acceptance of their body gets in the way of nurturing the body. Also, I've known people who they kind of accept their body, but they're not very grateful to it. They Mm -hmm. don't appreciate Mm -hmm. it. So their relationship to their body is sort of like that irritable rider of a very dutiful and long-suffering horse grinding its way uphill. But after a while, if you just don't appreciate the horse you're riding, the body, and you kind of jab it and poke it, Mm -hmm. the horse breaks down or it gets rebellious after a while. So that's why I think it's important to talk about self-acceptance and body image issues, which can create a lot of suffering in their own right, distinct from the ways that they become an impediment to nurturing the body. And also, it's really nice to talk about what it would feel like 
to appreciate your body mm -hmm. and really be grateful for all the wonderful ways that it's helped you these years. So speaking as a psychologist, obviously there's a huge amount of cultural narrative and cultural construct that goes into this question. But why do you think it's so hard at a basic level for people to accept their bodies? Yeah, there are different reasons. For one, people routinely as they grow up mm -hmm. uh, get various kinds of messages of approval or disapproval related to certain body types, including color of skin. Mm. And those messages get internalized. If they're critical messages, or if a person, a child, let's say is comparing themselves to a standard they can't meet, a person often will internalize a negative self-image. It might be covered over, it might be compensated for with various forms of uh, self-importance mm. or even outward mm -hmm. arrogant while internally feeling ugly or weak in just your fundamental body. Or alternately, if a person's body is repeatedly approved of, the pitfall there, the danger there, is that a person gets attached to that approval through that particular vehicle. And then as the body ages or falls apart or is exposed to illness or different things happen in life, uh, a person feels like, oh no, I'm no longer beautiful. I'm no longer handsome. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer mm -hmm. athletic. I'm no longer strong. I've gained 10 pounds. Now no one will love me. If your identity is wrapped up in some regard, in the nature of your body, yeah. as your body changes, that identity can be under threat. Yeah. yeah. And then around us, very broadly, are cultural norms of the perfect body that just become presumed as mm -hmm. the way to be. And uh, as researchers have shown, if you look at cultural norms represented in, let's say, uh, female models mm -hmm. in advertisements in, say, the last 10 years, and you compare that to the images or photographs of women models and ads 50 years ago or 70 mm -hmm. or 80 years ago, the typical uh, woman today, the uh, ideal, yeah, I don't know it exactly, but it's on the order of 15 to 20 pounds uh, lighter mm. than mm -hmm. what was normative as an ideal of beauty or appeal yeah. or health 50, 80 years ago. And this becomes internalized as, oh, that's how I'm supposed to be. You walk through a mall, you just see all the pictures of the models in the windows, and that's how I'm supposed to be. And then you look down at yourself in the shower sure. or in the mirror, and you go, uh-oh, I guess I'm... Uh, then you slump inside. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm not as good as that. Oh, mm -hmm. Or I have to really strive in various ways that are problematic, like binge dieting, uh, needing to exercise intensely, uh, wearing clothes that are physically uncomfortable but kind of hide certain things in the body. And all that creates a lot of issue, a lot of suffering for people that probably, from what I know about it, tends to load pretty heavily on women compared to men. Mm -hmm. Not always, but uh, women in particular research shows tend to be most constrained by what is supposed to be the right way to look, including literally how to move, not just what you look like statically, but what forms of um, how large your gestures can be mm, as a woman mm -hmm. or a man to be all right. What do you have to do with your knees or your legs and when you're sitting in polite society? And these various standards get internalized as the body ideal quote unquote, the body ideal. And then we measure ourselves against that body ideal. And that uh, contrast between uh, the body ideal and what we are like is a real form of suffering. And even if we hit the body ideal, we start feeling like we're living on a bubble and at any moment it might pop. And then we would no longer be meeting that ideal. 
So again, it's another short question that has a lot of material packed inside of it. Um, What can we do to become more accepting of our bodies? Either in terms of what you're saying about filtering those problematic messages from the outside, or just from the inside kind of bottom up becoming strong in our core about what our body looks like. There are people who are certainly experts in this area. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And there are extremes, by the way, of feeling unhappy with your body that um, can become really pathological. Body Mm -hmm. dysmorphic disorder, it's called. And I've worked with people like that who, for example, literally could not stand to see themselves in a mirror Mm -hmm. because it was so upsetting to see what they looked like. And yet, objectively, they're probably in the top 10%, at least, of ordinary handsomeness or Mm -hmm. beauty. So uh, what can people do? One thing I think to do is to recognize this as an issue if it is one for you. And second, on the heels of that, if it is an issue, as and it is for many people from mild to moderate to severe, mm-hmm. try to step back from the messages you've received over the years and try to step back from the, the standards you have for yourself, the shoulds, the musts, and ask yourself, are they really true? Do I really need to look that good to hold a job or to have a partner or to have anybody interested in dating me, Mm. or to consider that I'm socially acceptable. Is that really, really true? So be skeptical of those standards. And then third, related to that, it can be helpful to think about how you yourself see other people. Mm. And what I think most people will notice is that when they meet a new person, for example, or they interact with someone they're already familiar with, when they meet a new person, they notice what the other person looks like, And then 5, 10, 20, 30 seconds go by. And then what that other person looks like, unless the person is extraordinarily good looking or six foot six, super athletic basketball player, very quickly, the appearance of the other person falls away. Mm -hmm. You don't really focus on that. You're into what they say, your sense of who they are, how they make you feel about yourself, what you're talking about, what you're trying to do together. That's what moves much more into the foreground. Even in many cases, if you're potentially interested in that person romantically, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, extremes of beauty at either end of the range tend to affect people. But most of us are really in the middle. And if you think, if you watch your own mind, how you uh, observe other people, appraise them and interact with them, uh, what they look like is a very, very small factor that affects you how you are with them. And yet for us, what we look like is incredibly important is the distinction you're drawing. Yeah. Right? And so this is yeah. a way in to flip it around that much as you see other people, mm-hmm. most other people see you in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. They notice what you look you like. You look like a person. You look like yeah. a person. And maybe they register that fairly briefly. And after that, it moves way into mm-hmm. the background of the mind. Their relationship with you, their interpersonal dynamic, whether or not you know you make them laugh, whatever it might yeah. be, starts getting foregrounded much more rapidly. Yeah, for most people, mm-hmm. and for those hand, for those few people that are hyper fixated on what you look like, well, bummer. But maybe that's a kind of person <laughs> that you disengage from. That's or, much more about them than it is about yeah. you. Yeah, and you don't, yeah. and not take it so personally, and kind of shrug wistfully, perhaps sometimes, and then move on to other people who really appreciate the whole of you, mm-hmm. rather than getting reactive about or fixated on one tiny tile in the total mosaic of who you are. A last way that people can accept themselves mm-hmm. is to do little practices in which you actively look at different parts of your body and 
consciously, deliberately accept them. Mm -hmm. It can help to start with accepting something else that's really easy for you. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I accept the shape of the knob on the dresser. Mm -hmm. Oh, I accept that the light is on. Know what acceptance feels like, and then apply it to your body. Start with the part of your body that you like. It's easy to accept what we like. So, oh, eyes, I accept you. I like my eyes. Then move on to some part of your body that maybe is more neutral, like, oh, ankles, I accept you. I can, you're okay. And then if you can, move up to parts of your body that maybe uh, are harder for you to accept, like, oh, okay, I accept that little roll of fat around my waist here. That's a good way to practice self-acceptance. And then uh, as with so many things that we talk about as a recurring theme, when you start having experiences of mm -hmm. accepting your body that are the result of these prompts or cues that you're doing with yourself, once you've evoked that experience of accepting your body, take some time with it. Help it sink in mm -hmm. and notice how good it feels to shift into acceptance while also recognizing that you can accept different parts of your body and also do various things that are wise and appropriate to improve them. Like I can accept that little roll of fat around my waist while thinking to myself, hmm, got to eat fewer carbs. Mm -hmm. So that's a way that we can get better at accepting the body. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's worth noting that we could spend many episodes on the one topic of accepting the body. Yeah. So we're giving very cursory treatments to very yeah. big ideas here. Mm -hmm. But I do think that as a single piece of advice, that's a really good one. And particularly for me has been useful in terms of that tool of kind of flipping it around and going, you know, how much time do I actually spend in my yeah. life thinking about what other people look like? Yeah. And the answer is really very little. Yeah. So to move very briskly here from accepting onto appreciating the body. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by appreciating it, particularly in a kind of normal way in the flow of everyday life? Well, isn't it interesting, Forrest, that we're sitting here mm -hmm. and we're able to do this thing with each other enabled by a body that can sit upright. Very few animals can sit upright mm. in a chair. We're also able to do this with opposable fingers and thumbs that can hold pieces of paper or ultimately manufactured microphones for a podcast. We have visual processing systems that are tracking color and are among the most advanced optical systems of any animal on the planet in terms of the total range of what the human uh, visual system can do. We're also able to do this right now, enabled by a body that has an extraordinarily complex brain. Mm. This physical organ, three pounds of cauliflower-like tissue, able to generate thought and language and uh, empathy and nuance. Thank you, body. Also, thanks to the particulars, think of all the things that maybe you've done over the years with your body and your body has enabled you to do that's been really neat. Uh, I can do it for myself. All the, the mountains I've been able to climb, the forests I've been able to walk through, uh, through my legs, drawing upon my legs, the, the people I've been able to hug, being able, frankly, to lift you up when you were just mm -hmm. first born. Um, thank you, hands. Thank you, arms. Thank mm. you, eyes. Thank you, ears. When we start moving into appreciating all the many things that our body has done for us, first, it makes us happy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of mm -hmm. almost ecstatic. And second, naturally, 
it brings a person into a kind of tenderness with regard to this body that has given them so much already. Yeah, what you're kind of pointing to here is the body that we're sitting in today as this gift from a hundred million years of evolution of one kind or another. And we've inherited the culmination of all that work, all that, you know, all those little bugs that died because they didn't have whatever characteristics they really needed to pass along. We've inherited all of that. And I think that it can be really powerful to kind of recognize that. So you actually kind of did maybe a little mini practice for a Uh, second there. So I thought it might be nice to do, um, do you have a practice that you do with people around appreciating the body or is there some way where just sort of in the the common flow of life where you're not necessarily thinking about these things or maybe you're even feeling a little down about these things that people can move more easily into appreciation? Yeah, I think that uh, if, especially if a person has an issue with their body, mm-hmm. they're, they're angry at their body, or they're critical of themselves, or they feel embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah. Maybe they're uncomfortable wearing a swimsuit mm. or being in certain situations with the body that they have. In particular, if that's kind of an issue, I have two practical suggestions. One is to systematically uh, go through your body part by part, like left foot, right foot, or left leg, right leg, however you want to do it, and thank that part of your body in your mind. You could also do it on paper if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Do it in a setting where people aren't going to think you're really weird, like, thank you, (laughs) knee, for (laughs) bending. (laughs) But systematically, take five minutes to do a simple exercise in which you move through your body Mm. and you thank the different parts of your body for how they've helped you. And uh, in particular, try to do that with parts of your body that you're not so happy about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can't find a genuine, sincere, um, authentic uh, a sense of appreciation for a particular part of your body, just move on to another part. Mm-hmm. So that's a simple little practice that someone can do that can actually be really quite powerful. A related practice would be to write a thank you letter to your body. Oh, okay. Dear yeah. body. Thank you so much (laughs) for this or that. Hands, thank you so much for, Mm. you know, all the things you've held. uh, You enabled me to play the piano, which I love. And let it just be really powerful for you. And then see what happens when you allow that gratitude to well up inside you Mm. for your own body. I think that's really great. Another form of gift that we can give to the body is nurturing it. And in the beginning of the episode, you mentioned the importance of nurturing our physical bodies for mental health, Mm -hmm. how when we have more physical resources, we can become effectively grittier in a variety of different ways. But it's often hard for people to develop any kind of a consistent habit around those physical practices. And just speaking personally, I think that for most people, it's not an information issue. Yeah. Most people basically know that they should get enough sleep and they should basically, you know, eat somewhat healthy. No one's perfect, but eat somewhat healthy, whatever it might be. The problem is in the doing. Yeah. So just in your experience and working with people, what have you seen as real aids for doing and real aids for kind of the habit formation around those good physical practices? Yeah. Well, partly I want to ask you, mm-hmm. because truly with your own physical fitness practices, and also diet, it's been inspiring to watch. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Because I'm not as disciplined as you are in those two areas, for sure. And it's been really impressive. So I'll just offer a couple quickies, maybe, then I'll ask you uh, what you did. Mm -hmm. So classically, 
One thing is to focus more on the positive. What's the sense of yourself as healthy, fit, alive, attractive, that draws you. That's much more powerful as a motivator. As mm. you said, motivation's the key issue. We know yeah. what to do. It's sticking with it over the weeks and months and years. Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to stick with something for weeks and months and years, generally, it's much better to be attracted to something that's positive than trying to move away from something mm. that you dread mm -hmm. or don't like. Second, when you do follow your health practices, as we'll get into when we talk more about the strength of motivation, really look for experiences of reward related to whatever you want to motivate before doing it, while doing it, and after doing it. And that's mm -hmm. going to tend to, in your brain, associate reward to whatever you want to motivate, which will then naturally uh, incline your brain in the direction of the rewards it anticipates from doing X, Y, or Z that you want to motivate. So that's mm -hmm. really good. And then third, social support is so useful. Someone who will come to your house and go for a walk with you every morning or who will meet you at the gym and you don't want to be embarrassed by flaking, so you want to show up or uh, do a team sport, something athletic or dancing or some involvement with other people that gets you going. Social support is really good too. Mm -hmm. Or have roommates uh, or people you live with who are willing to recognize that you're way too tempted by fill in the blank sugar, cookies, alcohol, drugs. Be careful about having it available to you. And, you know, get support from other people related to your fitness goals, your health goals. Mm -hmm. How about you? What worked for you as you developed an impressive physical training regime? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Also, as you managed what you eat really well? Yeah. For me, I think that I had a lot of advantages that many people don't have. For one, my mother's a nutritionist, as you know, and that was certainly an element. And uh, I grew up with a fair few dietary issues. So I had to be kind of conscious about what was going into my body from a relatively young age. I would say since I was 12 or 13 was probably the first time that it really kind of started getting brought up. And then I was pretty crappy about it. And I got better about it probably when I was about 18. What worked for me was really, first thing, it's really easy to put something off until tomorrow. Mm. But the tomorrows kind of add up and then the years go by and yeah. then there you are. So whatever you can do on any given day to motivate yourself, to get out of the house, go to the thing, take the next step. And as you were saying, internalize the reward of that along the way. Feel good about the little things. We spent a fair amount of time on a previous episode talking about the difference between being result-oriented as opposed to cause-oriented mm, or practice-oriented. Yeah. And to me, any kind of physical practice is the perfect encapsulation of that. If your only moment where you're going to feel good about it is when you hit the end of the rainbow, you're never going to feel good about it because yeah. no one ever hits the end of the rainbow. Yeah. Everyone always wants to change something huh. is part of what we're saying here, which is actually kind of freeing because you go, okay, nobody's perfect. Uh. So there's no attainable perfection here. So it becomes easier to just do whatever you have to do today. Second thing really quick, just as a basic, again, I'm not an MD, but for me in terms of habit formation, just trying to do something every day. Mm. So literally every day do something athletic for me in my case, because I wanted to become more physically fit and more athletic. So I just made a dedication that every single day I might not go to the gym, but I would go outside and run around for five minutes. Mm -hmm. I would do one set 
literally mm. one set of mm. exercises. I would do a quick little mini workout mm -hmm. while I was waiting to get on the bus, mm. you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And sure, sometimes you're going to feel a little ridiculous, mm. but it keeps the practices going. And then you don't want to break the chain. Mm. You know, you don't want to have that moment where I've done it for 10 days in a row. And now today's the day when I'm going to fall through. So it really does help keep me going. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, so for me, those were a couple little things that helped me become a bit more devoted about nurturing and paying attention to the needs of my body. Well, that sounds like a good place to end the podcast. And if you like this episode, please take a moment to like it and sign up for this podcast on the platform of your choice. We're on a lot of different platforms. And I hope you'll join us next week for our next episode that relates to the strength of gratitude.